24, 1 Samuel 24. Um, um, starting this morning, a new series called Blessing and Honor. Come on, say that with me. Blessing and Honor. It's going to be three messages. Uh, trust me, it could be one message if you want. How many are ready to stay here like uh, for... For hours and, <laughs> and hours, you know, you know. But w- what we'll do, we'll break it up in three weeks. And um, so this Sunday, next Sunday, and the following. Um, uh, and I tell you, it, it's, uh, it's some, some of those simple things in the Bible that sometimes carry more weight than we realize. Okay, so carry more weight than we realize. The Bible talks about honor a lot. The word honor shows up everywhere in the Bible. And you would find that many times the word honor is associated with a blessing in it. And so we'll break it up in, in three ways just to give you a head for those who like to plan. Okay, so this, you know, we're told to honor many different people, institution, whatever, honor God. Um, uh, but I'm going to break it down in three different sections. So today we're going to look at honor, honor people, okay, just a group of honor people. Next week we'll do honor um, uh, leaders, and uh, the following week we'll say honor God. They'll tie in together. So I want to encourage you to come. But even if you bring people, they'll be able to get something from each individual messages. Are you with me at least? So don't feel like, oh, I, maybe they missed the first one, they wouldn't. But I believe that the revelation of this can actually change and alter people's lives and their future. If, if, if the word of the Lord, the revelation of this gets, your, gets into your heart and you recognize the spiritual meaning behind this, it can actually alter your, 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 your cause and what you pass on generationally. Because the words, I, I found through the scripture that there are certain things that are principles in the word that actually apply regardless of who is using it. So whether you are a believer or not a believer, you know, it says it rains on the just and on the, and, the, and the unjust alike. So principles tend to be applicable to believers and non-believers alike. And this is one of those areas that actually is applicable to believers and non-believers because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual principle that God has kind of set in his word that kind of has ripple effect that goes beyond our time. So uh, with, that, with that said, I want us to go to, to, to the message this morning, and I'm going uh, to read the whole chapter. How many love, appreciate at least re, uh, reading the Bible here? How many love that we read the Bible? So it's going to be a whole chapter, but it's going to be a fun chapter. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, so, so, so uh, you read with me. If you, don't follow, you can follow along if you don't have a, a Bible with you. Over, I have some on the, on the screen there. First Samuel 24. And then I'll expound on this when we are done reading. So after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines. So the story, just to set it up, this is during the time where King Saul of, 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 of Israel um, uh, was really uh, upset uh, that he knew that David was going to be eventual. God really, his hand was in David, and David was eventually going to be the king of Israel. And he hated David, and he wanted to see David dead. So he was actually following after David to kill him so that he could secure the dynasty uh, in his family. Okay, so let's, let's keep reading now. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes the sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Thank you, Bible. Thank you for telling us all that. (laughs) But as it happened, 
David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now it's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you that you will certainly put your enemy into your, into your power to do as you wish. So David crept, crept forward and cut off the piece of the hem, the piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Kind of slick, huh? If I tried to do that, he will be, there's no way he wouldn't know. I wouldn't even get close without him knowing, you know? You know, I probably sneeze before I get there or not, but he, he cuts the robe. But David conscious began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He sat, he said to the man, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. You would think, anyway, let me just keep reading the word here. After Saul had left the cave and gone into the, on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My lord, the king. And then Saul looked around and David bowed down before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes that that isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my masses back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For you, I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hands. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hurting me you have been hunting for me, uh, for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me. But I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate, just so you know, and he will rescue me from your power. I, I love the confidence he had in God. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that truly you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said, David, you are a better man than I am. For you've repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could actually kill me, you didn't do it. Who else would do let his enemy get away when he had him at his power? May the Lord reward you. Now think about the that he starts blessing David by his words may the Lord he starts speaking blessing over David may the Lord reward you and now I lost where I was tell me the verse 20 
19. Yeah? May the Lord reward you well for your kindness you have shown me today. And how I realize that you are sure, now I realize that you are surely going to be king. The writing's on the wall. And that the, and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now I want you to swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, not if that happens, when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. What a powerful story. Especially if you try to put yourself, I always try to put myself in the situation and say, what, what, what would I do if I was that? You know, I think of many different things in the Bible. We look at people and we think, oh, how, how foolish. You know, the, the, the one story that we overlook, I think we often overlook is the story of the Israelites and how they would turn from God over and over and over again. And, and God would be faithful to them and then they would go. And sometimes when you read those stories, you think, how foolish. God already did some miracle. And then if you put yourself in your situation in the real life, you realize that we are not better than they were. Because we always look at the grandiose things, the biggest things, and think, I would never do that. And yet the faithfulness is judging the little things that we just do every day. This guy had the guy that wants to kill him at his disposal. He had control. He would have taken him down just like that and his life would have changed. I want you to notice a couple things. One, how David addresses, how he addresses Saul. He calls him, my lord, the king. He calls him father. He calls him the anointed one. God's anointed one. And this he did, not just in front of Saul, this he did in public and in private to his friends. He told his guys, no, 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 God forbid that I would take him down. No way, I'm not going to do that. And in that place, he calls him, he is the Lord's anointed one. Now, Saul was not living like an anointed person. I'm not defending Saul here. He was not living like... A person has been under, he was do, taking matters in his own hands. But David also, and, and what does that show? Okay, second thing I want you to note, you know, is also how David treated Saul. He comes over, the first thing when Saul addresses him, he bows down to him. And then he treats him with respect. He talks to him with respect. And he chose not to. He could have harmed him, but he made a deliberate choice that I will not harm him. I will not bring any harm to him. He does not take the matters in his hand, even when he had the power to take matters in his own hands. He didn't. He still treated him with respect. Saul was being a jerk. And he wanted David dead. That's why he came there to the caves, looking for him to kill him. And David had the upper hand. Still, didn't flaunt at Saul. Even when he addressed him in that situation, he still did it with a lot of respect. What compelled him to act that way? What compelled him? 
The scripture says that as he went and cut the robe, he says his conscience got to him. His conscience kicked in. And he says, this is not my job. I'm, it, this is not in my hands. And though he could have been justified, you go to court, he would have been self-defense here. He would have been out walking. He had a bunch of witnesses that would have attested to it. But he didn't. It wasn't just respect. I think it's deeper than that. What it was is David, within his own heart, he was a man of honor. He understood what honor is. And he knew that it would be dishonorable for him to take vengeance in his own hands. He knew that there was a bigger God who knows what happens in secret. Actually had a lot of integrity because he was the same person in private with his friends as he was in public. He didn't go in and show off how good he was to Saul. And then gone in with his friend and just started casting at him and calling him names. No, he says, how dare, God forbid that I would be the one. And he determined that I will not. And yet he still believed that God is faithful. That God keeps good books. That God knows his heart. And he sure did. And that God will keep his word. He says, you know, let the Lord judge between the two of us. And let him pay back whoever's wrong in this situation. I'm not going to take matters in my own hands. Honor. Honor is something that is a, becoming a lost cause in our culture. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen teenagers, even little kids, disrespect their parents. You're like, what? I call out kids if I see them speak bad, even if they're not my kids. If I see them talk badly to their parents, bad, I say, hey, you knock it off. You tell your mother, sorry, right there. I've done that. And they will listen and say, you do not do that to your mother. You don't speak to your father like that. You don't speak that to your parents or your grandparents like that. And kids have become, and sometimes it's even, it's even glorified in, uh, in the uh, uh, social media s- sphere. Some will take it on and continue to dishonor their parents on the, for the world to see. And sometimes even our, our movie industry and everything kind of celebrates it. One of the things that really bothers me a lot in, in a lot of movies that I show, and I think it shapes culture, that's what you gotta, it shapes culture a lot, is that there are so many movies out there that have one or two angles when it comes to parents, uh, especially dads. It's always one, one spectrum. They're dumb. They don't know what's going on. They're out of touch with the real world now. It's like, dad was a teenager too, by the way. Or the other side, they're so mean. They're so awful. Like, it's almost portrayed even in the smallest shows. It's like, and so the, the kid that actually ventures out and breaks away from this oppressive father of these oppressive parents that want, want to impose all these things on them, well, finally they get a good life. Is it true really or is it, does this thing have more impact than we realize? I want to submit to you, it does. It does. 
And it does have consequences that go beyond. And the results in kids, I'm sorry to say because I'm an adult and I'm a parent just like many of you in here. The behavior of the kids is a good portion of it. A mightier portion that actually is on us more than it is on them. I know it's a hard amen, but you can say amen. We have to look back a little bit. We have to look back on us. Not in guilt, but in correcting and doing the godly thing to do. I'm telling you, it's a bigger thing than we realize. Because God puts it right up in the Ten Commandments. Just like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord giveth thee. Fifth commandment. The top ten, the big ten, whatever you call it. And don't tell, ask me about the Haskas. I'm glad we are not Ohio State, though. It's not a story for another time, right? But he puts it right there. Because it covers more weight than sometimes we give it credit to. And what it is, in fact, um, not only is it in the Ten Commandments, Jesus personally quotes that. At least seven times in the gospel, the Lord uses, quotes that. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus himself quotes it seven times. Paul will talk about it. It's repeated. One of the things that I want to share that it's, now, ling- linguistically, and the usage of the word that we use it today, you'll find that honor and respect are one in the same. And oftentimes they'll be uh, used interchangeably. In fact, when you look at the different Bible translators, some of them would replace the word in cases where they'll use respect just to help people connect and identify what it is that the, the content of the verse is trying to tell us. But if you look at the deep spiritual Meaning behind it, you'd find that there is a little distinction. Now, respect, let me show you this. Uh, um, um, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse 1. It starts with, this is one of those where your parents, how many, you would remember, if your parents had any Christianity or any Bible in them, they quoted this one many times. At least it was quoted on me. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord. I memorized these three verses when I was probably six. (laughs) Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. That it would be well with you. And you will live long on earth. So when you look at that verse. It actually helps us a little bit. If you scrutinize it a little bit better. To understand and to distinguish honor and respect. They are both absolutely necessary. But they're not exactly one in the same as we use it in our day and time. Number one, children, obey your presence in the Lord. For this is right. Period. It's addressing children. It's also conditional. Obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, if your dad says, Junior... Pick up that AK-47 in the garage. Come, follow me. We're going to go raid the banks today. Uh, You can say, Dad, I'm sorry. And run. 
if your dad ever, t- you know, so, so, so that, 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 that's not, it's not applicable. It's obey your parents in the Lord. And obedience has to deal with behavior. See, it has to deal with action. As in, hey, Judah, go take the trash out. Well, that kid inside might be like, why is that telling me to take trash out when I'm doing, I'm playing the game that I like, I'm, I'm just about to go to the next level. But they apl- that word applies, if they went and took the trash out immediately, if their attitude wasn't right, maybe I couldn't tell, they still obeyed. Why? It is the right thing to do, for this is right. So it focuses on the behavior and the outcome. <clears throat> and then, uh, then it goes on to the next part, it says, Honor your father and your mother. Now, they're not addressing just children there. Remember, there was a period. Honor your father and your mother. But I'm 35. Honor your father and your mother. But I'm 60. Honor your father and your mother. And says, this is the first commandment with a promise. That it may be well with you. So, so one, the honor of your father and mother is unconditional. Respect is conditional. And it focuses on action. But honor is not conditional. It's not so much action as much as it is a hard attitude. A disposition of one's heart. Concerning those in authority. Concerning your parents. Concerning... Now... There are a lot of parents... They do a lot of dishonorable things. There are a lot of parents that do a lot of things that do not deserve respect. And shame on them. And in fact, most of the problems, I would like to say, probably 90% of the problems that we face in the world are due to that one aspect when the parents are not being who they should be. Because research after research after research shows that when the parents do what they're supposed to do and be who they're supposed to be, that it has positive impact for the most part. Now, kids grow up and they have their own choices because they're all individual people. But for the most part, it can set someone up for a better life. And so the chain of brokenness has a ripple effect, and so it's done to you, and it just goes down the chain. But the law says, honor. Respect, in many senses, is earned. Because when you lose respect, it's very hard to, to gain it back. And you gain back by proving yourself worthy of respect. But honor is different. Honor is something that's given. Saul was not deserving of it. He was not deserving of it. He was being a very bad father. He was being a very bad leader. He was doing horrible things. And David yet, he didn't obey Saul's orders. He didn't become just a subject in Israel. He ran away. But he says, when my conscience. So it says, honor speaks of something deeper. 
It's a condition in your heart that you make a deliberate choice that I give honor where honor is due. And I'm not the judge. He is a judge. And let me tell you about that judge. He is a righteous judge. He leaves no stone unturned. I'd rather he judges than I do. Because I have judged wrong. My judgment isn't always right. I'm flawed. I've judged sometimes so I back up. But he's a righteous judge. So Saul gets tremendous grace out of it. And when we really look at that, and he, he, uh, we realize it's something deeper than respect. It's a heart of honor. And with it comes this blessing. And it blows my mind the weighty matters in which he deals with. What's the promise? The promise of wellness, well-being, goodness, and longevity. Tied to a simple thing as honor? Maybe it's not so simple anymore. I know sometimes in real life, I feel like the parent of especially boys... The first 10, 13, 14 years of your life, your main job is to keep him alive. <laughs> when I was a kid, we grew up in Kenya, and uh, our, our house was in the last development in Nairobi at the time. And uh, we were in the corner of the city near the Nairobi National Park. And I've said this story before. And what separated our house from the Nairobi National Park was an was a electric fence, about a mile of woods, an electric fence. And I, and I said stories before. We lost power a lot, more often than in Lincoln. Way often. We had power more times. <laughs> Sometimes we lost power more times than we had power. And guess what our favorite place to hang out was? The woods. And you get home from school early. And mom says, when you get home, don't go to the woods. You stay home, do your homework, get a shower, clean up, and wait for me at home as a good boy. You know, mom leaves at 5.30. You know, it's going to be like 6 by the time she gets there. Guess where you are? The woods. One of the biggest, my mom didn't punish, hardly ever. She was a good mom. <laughs> but boy, she kept it in for a long time. And it happened once ever in my life, and it was horrible. When she came back, one time she came home, and we were in the woods. I tell you, we came this close to being ate by lions, Knocked down by water buffaloes, bitten by snakes, all of it. And I'm not exaggerating. All true. I have a brother here that's a witness. <laughs> this was real stuff. We go in and we get buffalo poop. And it's fresh. You can see the steam coming. I was like, 
they must be somewhere near here. And instead of running home, we're thinking, we just want to sneak a sneak peek and see if we could get a hole. One time, my friend Steve and I got our binoculars. There was a wall that um, soldiers, my dad was in the military, that we used to do their shooting range in. They had this big wall that where they're kind of a barrier for, for the guns. And we liked to hang out at that wall a lot because we would get up on the wall, climb it. It's in the middle of the woods and with the binoculars and we could see, we could see even the wilderness, the tail end of the wilderness migration from a distance. And that was a cool spot to hang out after school with a bunch of uh, gamma or anything or nuts. You know, we'll sit there and uh, with binoculars, sit down and just watch. And we were walking back home. In front of our pathway was this long python. We couldn't see the end. It was just scrawling. Stopped in our track because we can see the head, we can see the tail. That's how long it was. And we just started backing off. And that day we ran. We ran. We were home so fast after that. And you know, sometimes that obedience uh, that it would be well with is just something like, hey, I told you not to do that. I wasn't trying to be mean. I know when you do that, you could get hurt. And it hurts me to see you hurt. Sometimes I, I will react. I'll be mean. I'll say, stop, don't do that. I, it's not because, no, uh, I want to protect you. But kids don't always get that. You know, sometimes it's about just that. That it'll keep you in trouble. Don't touch the stove when it's on two year old. Don't do it. It looks like fun, but it's not. It will be well with you and you will live long enough, literally. But I think the biblical principles have deeper meaning than just the everyday. But it's something that God needs to work inside of our hearts. That we become men and women of honor. And what we expect of kids, we demonstrate to them in the everyday life. If we expect them to be honorable, but we are always speaking negatively, cursing those in authority, even our own parents and our family, and not protecting them, not protecting their innocence from drama. How many have families that have drama? Let me say, how many don't have drama in their family? Because we want you to pray for the rest of us. But you know, it's our role to protect the kids from their innocence. And sometimes the world says, oh, well, they need to know the real world. No. There are certain stages when the time is right. And kids are introduced to stuff these days that little kids should never be exposed to. Because we are failing in protecting their innocence in a lot of things. We're letting Hollywood shape it. Disney shape their our worldview. And kids can be protected. And honor is one of those things that even if you had a fight with your parents as a grown-up child, you could protect the deep things. You could protect the relationship. You could protect their innocence. They'll grow up. They'll find out that dad is imperfect. I, I had that revelation. My dad was not. It was a good father sometimes. And I, in some ways he was not. But that revelation came a lot later in life when I realized, oh boy, I didn't realize this. Now, did it shock me? Yes, it did. 
But I'm glad that my mother protected me. Absolutely, because it would have messed with me a lot more if she hadn't. So in some ways, I think, hey, you should have dealt with it. But now others says, thank you for protecting my innocence and letting me just be a kid. Because we can sow seed in hearts, seeds of dishonor. And it reflects in everything. And not every act of disrespect comes out of a place of dishonor. But when you have a heart of honor, respect will flow. Respect will be natural. Problem is sometimes we start figuring, when we start thinking, okay, we've got to help these kids. And we put a lot of weight on the respect side, which is the behavior element. People say, that kid is a good kid. He's very respectful to adults. He's very respect- and it's good when kids are that. It's refreshing when you see that. But how, and this is why you, you see a, a fail. It's like, she was a good kid. And then when she grew up, she became a monster. Well, she did the right things. But the heart of honor was not shaped inside of her. And that's the part we need to mold. It's a hard part. How do I feel about authority that God's placed in my life? How do I treat a policeman that comes to me, to my car? Thank you, Andrew. Be nice to me if you stop me. (laughs) How do I treat my teachers at school? How do I treat adults? I believe that the church in the area, and I, or with people that work with our youth, or that work with our children, I will call them out and say, hey, 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 we don't do this here. They get that in the world. I don't want your kid running around calling, Aline, no, Miss Aline or Sister Aline, you don't address the older ones as if they're your peers. I've called kids, and they know me. They've told, I says, I'm not solo. Don't call me so. I've told kids their face that. And they get it. It's not that I'm trying to be a, 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 a rule keeper. I'm trying to shape something in their heart. That I'll get on the ground with you. We will play like friends. I'm not going to be unapproachable. I roll around with kids, trust me. I do. I get down to their level. But don't miss the line there. And forget. There's a story in the Bible. I'm going to close with this because we're going to continue with this series here. But I believe we forget it because it's something out in our culture. But it's having more impact than we realize. And the church needs to talk about it. There's a story in the Bible that's talked about the Ark of the Covenant. Worship team, you can come forward right now because I'm going to close with this story. King David, later as he became king, his one main desire is that he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which had been placed, uh, had been taken when uh, Israel had lost battles to their enemies and all that, and it represented the presence of God in their lives. And he wanted it. It belonged to the temple. It was the centerpiece of the temple. And for years, that Ark of the Covenant, it was a chest. It was in a man called Obed-Edom. And he dwelt in his house for a long time. He was the keeper of it. And God blessed Obed-Edom many years in his life because the ark was there. But when David became, started reigning as a king, he wanted that brought back. As they were transporting 
the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. It was the most holy thing in the temple of, uh, of Moses. One of the oxes that was carrying tripped. And that chest was about to fall. And one of Obedidim's kids tried to save it from falling. And it was struck dead. And the story is, he grew up around it and it became too common. That he lost the reverence of what it represented. Became too casual with the presence of God and forgot, but it became familiar. Our God is loving, faithful, generous, welcoming all of us, absolutely gracious, but He's still a holy God. Deserving our honor. The angels in heaven declare 24 7 continuously their glory. And honor belongs to, to you. I'm praying that the Lord will allow his word to work in your heart. I'm excited to share the next few weeks because I believe there's a seed of honor that needs to be restored in our culture. But before it gets restored in our culture, it needs to be planted in, along God's people and have impact, enough impact to change family trees here we're talking people. When we can cut on, Grab on a hold of God's principles and they become real to us. It's not too late. I'll expound on it next week and the following week. Can we stand and worship the King who is worthy of our honor? How many received something from God this morning? Come on. Did you receive at least something you can take home? Amen. Lord, in the name of Jesus, stand with us. We're going to worship. That's the one way we honor God is with our worship. And they're going to lead us in a couple of songs and we will worship before we leave this place. But I want to pray right now. And I want you to join me in prayer. Right now, begin to just pray right where you are. If the Lord's speaking to you about anything, I'm not, I don't need to elaborate anything. The Holy Spirit can expound some things in your heart if you're open to Him. But if you've given this honor, if you need to sharpen some things in your heart, just bring Him. Bring it to Jesus right now. Lord, I thank you right now for the Spirit of God in this place. I ask that the Word of God will not return to you void today, God, that it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it, God. Lord, our hearts are receptive to you, God, that you will work in us and that you will do in us. That work that you want to do in us, oh God, of transformation, of healing, of restoration, oh God. In the name of Jesus, you said that he who is in Christ is a new creation. And all things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And I pray, God, that we many very much are, are a part of what's being done to us and given to us. And even victims, we stand today, God, of um, seeds that have been passed on from generation to generation. But God, we thank you that you are more powerful than that. And today, I speak to those curses that have been passed on generationally. I ask in the name of Jesus, by the authority of the blood of the Lamb, the hearts are being set free, mindsets are being changed, oh God, and people are being liberated by the power of your word. I pray in the name of Jesus. All things are passed away. All things have become new, that we are a new creation. New ways of thinking, new ways, oh God, a new heart, 
a new attitude within our hearts, O God, that we can be people of honor, that shine your glory for the world to see, God. And that people will be drawn to you because they know us. People that are connected to us in the marketplace, in the jobs, in the community, will be drawn to you because they encountered us, because of your spirit inside of us. We thank you, Lord. Come on. Begin to just thank the Lord. Begin to ask for favor and blessing. You know where God needs to touch you. Let the Lord touch you right now. And we'll let him massage that work during our worship. We honor you, Lord, with our worship. Hallelujah.